The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking a Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson here with TC Zenka. And TC, we have uh, quite the sticky situation on our hands today. How do you feel about baseball right now? I feel more or less the same. It's still, you know, my favorite sport. They're still screwing up left and right, but <laughs> fun to watch and uh, fun to see uh, steps being taken, at least to to deal with the situation that people within the game think is important, right? Uh, yes and no. Uh, so let's get right into it with this week's big idea. As, <laughs> as I give a... A non-answer, much like Garrett Cole did on the situation <laughs> of him using, uh, what was it, Spider-Tack? Spider-Tack. Uh, so our big idea this, this week is, is very clearly the sticky stuff situation going on in baseball. Stories have been coming out the last couple of weeks, really trickling out since probably the end of March, if you've been following along closely. And if not, uh, you, you certainly must have heard about it in the last two weeks because that's when things have really started to... Uh, become too hard to not see. Uh, so we have random estimates, not random, but uh, delicately sourced estimates of the majority of pitchers in baseball using some sort of sticky substance on their hands, on the baseball, on their equipment, on their person to influence their grip, their movement, uh, their ability to throw strikes, their ability to manipulate the ball. And I guess we can start up right off the, the front here at TC, right up at the top. How big of a deal do you think this is on a scale of like 1 to 10 before we get to some people who have covered this and, and broken it down for us? I think it's potentially a huge deal. I mean, it, it depends on from what lens you're really looking at it. I mean, in terms of the competitive landscape, I mean, if everybody's doing it, then nobody's doing it, right? It doesn't necessarily give... I mean, if it's everybody but the Pirates, then, you know, the Pirates <laughs> have a problem. And I don't know, like, that seems like maybe that is the case. Who knows? But but I think it, it, it creates a broader issue within the game, which is just, like, lack of regulation is going to lead to all sorts of different innovations and changes, and that's not necessarily, necessarily the direction that the game should be moving. And I think that's the bigger issue here is that, is that, you know, everybody using or a majority of the league using the sticky stuff has made pitchers really, really competent. And that's created a style of game that the league doesn't really want. And that 
it seems that fans don't really want. Like this is pitchers are now so good that strikeouts are going crazy. People aren't putting the ball in play. And by all accounts, that's not what people want to see when they turn on a baseball game. And so that's where we have an issue. Yeah, it really does seem to meet in a hyper-specific way the way that baseball has evolved in terms of not necessarily solving it, but certainly realizing what makes the most sense, right? Uh, in terms of what is the best thing for these competitors. Pitchers, the best thing is a strikeout. Hitters, the best thing is a home run. And when you have pitchers who are dirtying up the ball in, in such a way that allows them to get an edge, of course, when pitchers throw it and hitters get a chance to actually hit it why wouldn't you want to throw it out of the park but the way that it's going the way that we know these substances really can actually influence uh, the way that the ball comes across the plate pitchers are basically incentivized to do it right well yeah for sure i mean this is always the problem with cheating right you're always incentivized to cheat for the for, not always but for the most part you are incentivized to cheat and in this case especially when everybody's doing it and when garrett cole is saying that it's, it's being passed down from veterans to younger players. Like if you're a young pitcher coming up and you're being told by the vets in the clubhouse, Hey, this is what you, this is the stuff people are using. Oh, you, you look at us, you wonder how we're so good. This is the spider tag, baby. That's how we're so good. Like, what are you going to say? No, you give this stuff a try. You got tremendous control over the ball. All of a sudden your, your curveballs are snapping the way you've never seen them snap before. You can place the heaters where you want them to go. Like, of course, you're going to be incentivized to, to do that. And if you use it, you're better. If you're better, you get paid more. You get to like, fulfill your dream. And if there's no stigma attached, even more so, of course, you're going to want to be doing it. And nobody's checking for it. And it's clear that nobody's checking for it. And so, you know, to not use it, like, who are these guys who are not using it? That's what I want to know. Like, yeah. what amazing, amazing pitchers out there are not using it? And it can't just be Kyle Hendricks and, and Zach Davies. <laughs> there got to be other guys out there. Who are not using it, but it's. I think it's very hard right now to come up for a pitcher to come up in that environment and to and to not be using some kind of substance. If that's what everybody is doing. If that's really, if it really is as prevalent as they uh, as these reports are making it seem. Yeah, and who's not doing it is uh, kind of interesting. That I, something I guess interesting in the sense that we'll probably never find out anyway. I mean, now now it's at the point where whether you're doing it because you're guarded about the game and you're like paranoid, like people got during steroids and we're like, well, he's having a great performance, a great day, a great week, month, season. Is he, is he juicing? I mean, like I, the Cubs game is on in the background right now here. And Jake Arrieta had, I think six strikeouts through five innings. So it's like, how often does he do that anymore? And, and part of me is like, just for the, the sheer idea of it, like, Oh, it would be fun if he was doing it, I guess. Um, if he should be better if he's doing it. <laughs> Um, you know, there is an Eno Saris piece uh, that uh, actually really a lot of what we're going to go through today is some of the athletics coverage over time the last couple of months. So this Eno piece had a really interesting quote uh, on the note of competitive balance, so to speak. And it says just this. Well, we'll hear the quote and then we'll, you know, TC, we'll get your thoughts. We'll get some idea of what's going on here and hopefully frame ourselves up to to really maybe grasp this in a way we haven't quite understood it to this moment. Uh, so in the Eno piece, there's a bit that says, because of ongoing innovation in the grip substance marketplace, the difficulty of enforcement, the perils of selective enforcement, and the flaws in alternative solutions, the simplest way out of this current situation 
may be to find some sort of substance that satisfies the pitcher's needs and hopefully ends the race to develop better grip. So this hits on a couple of things. Uh, you were saying selective enforcement, where baseball historically has had like these gentlemen's agreements, these nods and shakes and winks of like, uh, it's okay if you do that. If, if it's not quite the rules, it's in the name of com- competition. Uh, and then we have these situations come up where they're like, no, 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 not like that. Um, the substance marketplace, the grip substance marketplace is an interesting phrase. And a standardized substance that anybody could use that the league would create and distribute. You hear all of these things. How do you feel about uh, substances right off the bat when you hear, uh, in terms of grip, what the situation might really be? What is it? Well, I can't wait for the 30 for 30 about the the grip substance marketplace, about the, the back the back alley innovations that are happening out there, but they are. And that's, it's crazy. Like, you know, yeah. this, there is this marketed product, right? This spider tack, right. Which is one of many things, right. Like it used to be, you know, spit or rosin, right. Things like things that were just around now that you're making sure now they're like, obviously engineering, uh, you know, less organic material that can do the same kind of stuff. And it makes sense, especially if you know that it's not being regulated by the league. So, it's very interesting to think of what all is being out there and who out there is working on this stuff. Like what, you know, like I said, back alley scientists out there working on, on spider attack 2.0. That's like, Oh man, what, a, what, <laughs> what I spent all this time for now. I can't even use this stuff. We just launched 1.9. <laughs> and what, I, what I don't like is the argument that people are making that now of like, you know, you see a guy get hit by a pitch or a couple guys get hit by a pitch and the Austin boat gets hit, hit the nose. Right. And, and guys are like, well, this is what's going to start happening if, if guys aren't using substances on the walls. And it's like, no, come on. Like, yeah, yes, it makes them better. But like, let's not act like this is some something that pitchers have been doing for the good of the game or something like now, if you want that to be the case. Yeah, you could decide on one thing, one substance being the right thing. And at least what that does maybe is is, you know. Maybe it makes it easier to regulate if you're seeing everybody doing something right. You're not, you're, you're not having to see if people are getting away with it. Some somehow I mean, people are always going to continue to try to get away with this kind of thing. But I think that they are, I don't see any reason why you'd have to just, why you just kind of like come up with one thing, but you could, you could regulate and say like, let's have just spider tech be the thing that everybody uses. And that way everybody can use it if they want. And it's, and that's fair, but nothing else beyond that. I don't see the point of that because I don't see how that really fixes the issue of pitchers getting or getting way too good for the game right now. I mean, Theo Epstein went on the the uh, the Bill Simmons report on, on the ringer and talked about like his his job now. And his job is basically to make sure to look at baseball and be like, oh, is baseball the game we want it to be? And is baseball the game the fans want it to be? And what he's been finding and what he said on that podcast that I thought was very interesting was that the three plays that fans want to see the most. They've done a bunch of research, a bunch of sourcing, but they found out is the three plays pitchers want to see the, or the fans want to see the most in baseball in this order are doubles, triples, and stolen bases. And that's what's not in the game. Like, because it's interesting when the ball gets put in play, right? There's, there's chaos. Stuff, stuff can happen. And those are the plays that are more interesting. And so that's what fans want to see. I don't, I don't see how regulating a substance for pitchers that allows them to continue to be as good as they've been recently is helpful. Like when they're talking about pushing back the mound 
and talking about all these different measures that they want to try to improve the environment for hitters again. It seems like the cleanest path is just to regulate the rule book as written and not allow pitchers to use any kind of foreign substance. All right. So there, there's a lot there to unpack, I think. First and foremost, the, the hits you're mentioning, I would be very curious to see the survey uh, that they ran out, whatever they did to get those responses. I'd be very curious in how those questions were shaped uh, and how they were presented. Uh, because you know that could that could have influenced it too, and and what kinds like, like I want to know how in depth it was, how you know what age groups were they asking, how many people in each age group, and and that's not to to cast doubt on uh, Theo Epstein in particular or this particular survey, but I one that I think there's just a curiosity aspect to it, right? Uh, taking the league at their word is a very difficult concept for me, especially with how they have handled larger controversies. Sure. Well, you know, one, one thing we can say, we don't have to worry about if it's true or not. What we can say is that just this is what the league believes, right? The league is now sure. functioning under the belief that fans want to see double struggles and stolen bases. Whether or not that's a, a accurate representation of the fan base on the whole is, I think, fair to, to, to question still. But, you know, we do know that that's a direction that the league wants to move. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. I think it's funny that triples are in there because it's like triples have never really necessarily been common, right? They've had, they've had to be a particular type of batted ball. Well, right, but uh, are they not interesting? I mean, they're, are yeah, they I, not something that kind of piques your interest when they happen? Like, you you know, the guy rounds second and you're like, oh, he's going for it. <laughs> Anthony Rizzo's going for it. He's going to go and try to get three. That part is fun. I just don't know. Like, oh, God, I hope baseball doesn't try to manufacture more triples. I think that would be a very... Awkward. I don't think so. I think the point is just that, like seeing the ball in play is something yeah. that is. That, yeah. I think the more the more the point is that like doubles and triples are more interesting, more, more often at the time than even home runs are. Right. Like well, sure. then you get people on base as well. You get like you have more just action. Right. Like, well, homer is anticlimactic. Once you know it's over the fence, it's over the fence. Like one, right. if you hit a ball into the alley and you're going for two or three, like there might be a play at that base. So that's kind of interesting. You hold your attention a little bit longer. Right. Instead of like turning down to your phone or whatever when the guy's, you know, lapping the bases. Exactly. Uh, and there's the old like adage of, of home runs being rally killers, right? Like guys are on base. Yeah. And it's true. Like there's still action. The pitcher's still nervous. He doesn't get this fresh start. Like, you know, a home run is best after a double. <laughs> right. That's when it's most exciting as well. Right. <laughs> now, we want to see guys on base. I think we do want... We want people yeah. on base. We want to see the ball put in play, and think, it's it's more interesting than than home runs and strikeouts are at a at a base level. Like you know, we're not getting sure. rid of home runs and strikeouts, but I think that much is fair. I, I do, and I think what is unique in addition to that is that I don't know what baseball can do to quite necessarily put more balls in play, even if they like. So their their problem is twofold here, right? They want to disincentivize hitting homers and they want more balls in play. But part of the issue with the balls in play and even the hit by pitches that you mentioned, uh, I think it was, was it Rob Maines and Rob Arthur at BP looking into that recently where they found it like hitters are driving that because they're like not getting out of the way, which kind of understandable if, if you yeah. can't get on base, right? Uh, if you, if hits are harder to come by, of course, yeah, let me lean into one. I'll take the bruise, but I'll take the bag too. Yeah, and they don't even need a bruise anymore because they've such they've got gear, they've got catching yeah. gear on. You know, they're up there with Kevlar vests, and they're like, "Yeah, bring it on, baby." <laughs> just don't, just uh, not the face, not the face. It's like fighting with my brothers. He's like anything but the face. 
<laughs> Body shots are fair. Just you leave my nose alone. Uh, so there's that aspect of it. And then there's also just where defenders are playing, right? Outfielders and third basemen are playing deeper and deeper historically than they I think it's like 10 feet, like an average of 10 feet uh, than they were even five years ago, six years ago, which is a significant difference. Because that's the thing, too. For as much as exit velocity is derided on it's seemingly every broadcast, when guys smoke it and make an out, that is also that's not even anticlimactic. That's just nothing because there's no there's no potential for excitement. It's just right at a defender, right? That's why I think like we talked before we hopped on, we talked about how this could evolve into an evolutional discussion on baseball, right? It seems like if they could control maybe where some of the defenders were because thousands of hits or would be hits are not there anymore. Because of where defenders are playing. You have outfielders who are so fast and are good at route running that they can afford to play really deep. That they're not going to get beat by a ball over them. They'll take somebody blooping in a single. Third baseman, same thing. You're not getting hits. Uh, you're not even getting the humpback line drives. Like Those are getting taken away by uh, second baseman in right field. What about this? All feelers have to start with their back to home plate. and They can't turn around until they hear the crack of the bat. Um, now that's, that's some action right there. They won't I'm be catching those line drives. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would be interesting. I just, I wonder like we're, we're getting away from the sticky stuff on baseball talk. Uh, I just wonder like how the league really thinks more balls and play is going to work when guys, even, even when they smoke it, it's not even necessarily going to be a hit because defense has become so prominent. Sure. So when it comes to what actually is on the ball and how pitchers are using it, there is something to different types of substances. Like you mentioned, like, oh, you know, what if they just made spider tack the thing? So spider tack is like the top shelf. You could add 500 RPM to your fastball, which if if you're listening at home, what that does is uh, it, it basically allows for additional inches of uh, perceived vertical and horizontal movement on the baseball, right? We know that pine tar, pelican grip, uh, they can give you up to two or two and a half more inches of horizontal movement up to about a half inch of vertical movement. And that's the kind of thing that makes you swing under a fastball. It's the kind of thing that on a slider or a curveball that snaps with that additional spin makes you swing right over it. And between... 50-ish RPMs uh, to 100 with pine tar and rosin uh, is, is what's added to the baseball and up to 500, like we were saying a minute ago with spider tack. So we talked even, what was it, last week, two weeks ago about how baseball's long been called a, a game of inches and now it's really, like, we know it's less than that. Yeah. So what, like, if I'm telling you a pitcher can get multiple inches more movement on their stuff, how do you feel about that in terms of trying to find a substance that allows them to spin it a little bit more comfortably with a ball that changes seemingly every year, every few months, as opposed to trying to regulate every single pitch, every single pitcher, every single uh, moment or piece of equipment they have on them at any given time? I mean, I don't know what the level should be like. I don't know if, if you know, spider tech is too good and that you want to make. I just think you need to make choose choose a substance. It's all about regulation, right? Making sure everyone has the same thing. Yeah. So, like, yeah, spider tech, it seems like 
it's like way too much, right? Like maybe they don't need that much help. Do pitchers need that much help? It doesn't seem like they do. Like pitchers want it. Of course they do. Of course they want it. Everyone wants to be better at their job. So do hitters, you know, but they don't have, they, hitters haven't found their innovation yet. They're not using their like bam, bam clubs or, you know, bigger <laughs> bats or, or, you know, some, they haven't figured out what the thing is yet, but. They're not doing the Albert Bell and finding a way to quirk it. Right. Like, yeah, or let's, let's cork bats. Let's just do that too. <laughs> give the spider tack, but give, you know, let's cork these bats already, right? And like, you know, they're changing the ball. There's so many moving elements right now too. So like, yeah. you know, they're changing, changing the ball all the time. So pitchers are trying to find some sort of regularity, right? And so they want stuff that makes them, that they can get the grip that they want. I think part of it is just, I think it is just about regulation. You have to decide on what the baseball is going to be decide what it's going to be and then decide what the regulation piece is and make it yep. just MLB issued stuff. Just, you know, double bubble is the bubble gum in the dugout and spider tack is the sticky stuff you got on the mound. You get a rosin bag out there, you know, let it be rosin. Let, you know, whatever the thing is, just have that be the thing. And, and, you know, I think that probably they don't need it to be the highest level thing. Sorry, spider tack guys. Like, I think you've done too good of a job. Like, yep. I, I don't think it's probably necessary Well, and that's, you know, too good of a job is an interesting phrase there because it was designed for like super heavy weightlifters, right? Like guys lifting 300 pound rocks and needing to keep their hands on it. Baseballs are not 300 pound rocks. (laughs) They are a few ounces, right? So like that's where I think the measurable difference comes in. And it is something that they can track. The league can track whose rates are going up or down. And I think if you did have a standard substance, you could ultimately say, all right, look, that's the substance. If something goes up this much, we know it's going to be maybe this combination of, of stuff. You, you Maybe you boil down some Pepsi and you put it in with some of the other chemicals and you added this many more RPM. We know that, well, maybe you just had a little too much sunscreen and rosin and that, sorry, that's that's two games. And then something like spider tack can be 10 or 20 or whatever. I think if you, sa- if you standardize the substance to a way that allows... Um, I don't know, pitchers to, to feel comfortable uh, and acknowledge that like, okay, we've screwed up by not actually administrating this for literally decades, maybe centuries. Um, I think that gives you a good place to start. Whereas fastballs aren't necessarily 10% better than they are without the substance. Breaking balls aren't necessarily 30% better than they are without the specific substance that you're using that top shelf type uh, spider tack stuff. Because when we get into it, and even from that Eno piece, he had a, a personnel per- person say to him, the sticky stuff is better than steroids, which were outlawed in 1991 and didn't even have penalties instituted for them by the league until 2005. So, like, what kind of scale are we really looking for here? That's a really good question. And I have no idea. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much of this is driven by need. That's I kind of... I guess that's where it starts for me still is just how much control do pitchers need to have over the baseball that they don't have now. Mm -hmm. And like, if there is an argument that, you know, pitchers are going to hit more batters if they don't have anything. So how much control do they need then? How much, how much rather than how much sunscreen, whatever it is, how much, you know, spider tack to have the right kind of control. And if it's, or maybe, you know, do we want them to have this kind of movement and we want to bump them on back? a foot to give the hitters. Yeah. A, I mean, that seems like a lot of moving parts when the simplest thing is just to, you know, ban it and make the baseball 
such that pitchers can grip it enough. Like, well, that's that's the thing too. Gripping it enough is interesting. Like Korea, the process they use there is it is a tackier baseball, and it is easier for them to grip, which naturally I think would discourage adding any substance to it. And players are checked before each game pretty thoroughly by umpires. Uh, that doesn't account necessarily, I guess, for what may happen in the dugout between innings, but I think it's a start. Uh, I think some of the tests that have gone with that is that the tackier baseballs also don't go as far. So then you run into maybe the same problem where there's just fewer strikeouts and fewer homers. And it's like, well, I really love that game. That had a game that was so exciting to see so many, uh, so many, so many attempted hits go right to the shortstop. Like, right. They're in a really difficult place. Like you're saying, like what, and I guess this gets into what we've already talked about at length before. Like, what does baseball want? And are they willing to test it to the point where they feel genuinely confident and players and teams feel confident? Because what they did with this new baseball this year was not that, right? Like, they thought they would they would deaden it. They would decrease homers. That would mean more hits. No, it's just mean less offense across the board historically, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know... Like I said, there are just so many moving parts right now, and and it's a moving target as well. So it's you know how, and so in some ways you can't really blame pitchers too much for taking advantage of a loophole that's been created by the league and by and by trying to get take advantage of this you know innovation and this like uncertainty of the baseball changing all the time and the league trying to like like I said hit this moving target. But um. I don't know. I mean, they had to kind of set some rules down at some point, right? They had to set some clear standards. And I do think that like, you can, as you said, like we have, like they can use the numbers. You can track RPMs. You can see where big jumps are, are happening and use those as baseline yep. for being for investigations. And, and maybe the league doesn't think that's enough to give suspensions or whatever, but it's, it's certainly a starting point And certainly something that you can look at and see when the, when a guy does have a huge jump in an inning or a game or something like that, you can go investigate those things, and at yeah. the very least, you know, talk to the guys. Say, hey, Trevor Bauer, how'd you do that? You know, well, see what, what does his story check out? Does he? Are there any changes made? Or and and that's the thing. You know, in the last calendar week, I think it was right or eight days. It's not. It's about a week. Bauer has suddenly had a lot less RPM on his fastball, and Garrett Cole has had a lot less RPM on his fastball. And Cole, uh, Bauer has deferred really responding to it. Um, Bauer is a weasel, I think, in this context. If we're going to bring up the players, uh, I'm going to bring up that because he's the one who, uh, in 2018, said, imagine how good I'd be if I didn't have morals. And then it's like, oh, so then you decided not to have morals. Yeah. You know, goop up enough to to win the Cy Young and then sign a mega deal, and now you want to be coy about it and say, well, I just want an even playing field. It's like, well, do you want an even playing field? Because you just signed a $100 million deal. So he he's a bit of a weasel, and... He this started when he started throwing shade at the Astros, right? Yeah. About them, their pitchers magically jumping up in RPM, and uh, Garrett Cole is was his teammate at UCLA. They didn't like each other then. Um, now Cole's at the center of it. He got asked, and he gave a really kind of awkward answer at first, but then a a, a straight up one where he's like, you know, like why are you asking me? Basically, because <laughs> if you guys want the league to regulate some stuff, maybe you should start there, and then maybe we can have the conversation. Otherwise, like, why would I, why would I single myself out in the way that like makes me the center of this story? Yeah. Well, you're the best pitcher in the game. So you are the center of this, of this story right now. And, and you, you will be, but I also kind of appreciate his answer because pretty much he, 
he, all he did was just flat out refuse to lie and, you yeah. know, wasn't particularly adept at it. And I don't think that's the worst character trait. I mean, it's not like he was really trying to get away with it. He was just like, I'm not going to say straight up that I've used it because that seems not right. But I'm also like, you know, don't particularly want to lie to your face when you guys know the truth is, is different than that. And, and you know, right. So I kind of respect his answer as, as much as it was still a non-answer. And he is going to have to be the one to answer to for these kinds of things because he's one of the best right now. And and those are the guys who are going to, I mean, you're not going to look at the guys who are, we, I mean, we don't know just from looking at the numbers necessarily who's using, who's not. I mean, I, I always remember with steroids, it was when uh, Andy Chavez was suspended for, for steroids. Andy Chavez was basically D-Strange Gordon. He's, you know, 100 pounds soaking wet. It's like, oh, that guy was using steroids? Like, why? And so, you know, we don't always know necessarily just by seeing who's good or looking at just at those numbers. Like, there are all sorts of different factors and it's really, it is hard to like prove without a doubt one, one way or another with any particular player. But the good, the guys at the top are going to have to answer the most, especially if we see a big drop off with them right now. I, I think that's a fair point, but I don't know how much it will actually play out in practice because, you know, I think it's reasonable to say Garrett Cole as, as uh, one of the top pitchers in the game will have to answer for it. I don't know if baseball will actually make him do it though. Him and Bauer, they're not getting suspended. Like clearly no. they got some sort of warning, right? As yeah, no, they've all been like grandfathered in. I, I yeah. just need to, you know, be the face of it to the reporters, and they're going to have to answer questions about it a lot. And you know, Zach Davies isn't going to have to answer quite so many questions about it because right. he's not doesn't have as much he's not, popularity. He's not quite as good, and you know, right. so he's not going to be asked quite as much about it. And it's. It's unfair I, for Cole to have to do so much, but he's going. But that's what comes with being among the best. It is, but I like you mentioned. Andy Chavez was the guy who answered for steroids. It wasn't Sosa. It wasn't McGuire, right? And like it, that's the thing. Everybody knew about it at that point with those guys. They just let it happen. So when Andy Chavez gets popped, and when it's not Bauer and it's not Cole right now, instead it's four minor leaguers who are you know nameless and faceless to ninety eight percent of baseball fans. Like that kind of sucks, doesn't it? Or am I just sucks. like no? Okay. It definitely sucks. I mean, it sucks <laughs> for those guys, you know. But it's also, I think, the league has made their bed. Like, I mean, in Cole's statement, he's like, "Oh, if this is something we want to regulate. We can have that conversation." And it's like, you shouldn't have to have the conversation. It's in no. the rules. Like, the league has screwed up by letting this go, and now they're. You know, I actually give the league just the smallest amount of credit for like taking the time to kind of re-adjudicate this instead of just like handing out suspensions or, or doing wholesale kind of what they did to, to Giovanni Gallegos where he's pulled from a game. Like if yeah. you let something go like this, you do have to give time to the players to adjust to what the new normal is going to be. And they could just like start regulating to the letter of the law, but instead they're kind of taking just a little bit of time to give players some heads up and say, okay, we're going to start doing this again, get ready, do what you're going to do. And starting now, now you can't do it. And that means that certain guys are going to get punished after the fact who weren't like, you know, forerunners of the movement or anything. But it's also going to be, you know, guys who get caught are going to be guys who are still breaking the rules. So I don't know who started this whole thing, who like are the like in the clubhouse leaders, you know, according to Cole, this has been going on for, you know, a long time. It's veterans. Veterans are passing it down. Right. So. The, you know, whoever is responsible is not going to be held accountable. And so it's not going to be fair in that sense. I do think that it will be fair in the sense that there's going to be a, a clear cut rule. And if you violate, if you get caught violating that rule, 
you're going to be punished for it. And that's, and those people are going to be probably not Gary Cole and, and Trevor Bauer because they know the spotlight's on them and other guys are going to think they can get past and they're going to have more or like less on the line because guys who are trying to make their way in the majors, it's worth it to get up and it get is. that big contract for a little bit. That's the thing that it's worth it for them. There's been uh, some, some sourced information that teams organizations are doing this from the minors all the way through to the majors because they don't want the guy to come up and then see a jump and spin and, and look suspicious. Like, so it's being practiced on a level that I, I think is, I understand wanting to give the league a little bit of credit. I think it's disingenuous of them if they try to step in as though they are saving something because ultimately I think for as serious as this may be, it's very ironic or uh, curious that it's happening at the same time that we are seeing record lows in offense, right? Like guys weren't using, guys weren't, pitchers weren't not using these sticky substances two years ago when the ball was exploding, right? So MLB comes out front before the season, says we've changed the ball, this is what we expect it to do. And then all of a sudden it's way worse. And what do we know? We are drawing attention to individual players and having them field questions that for something we never regulated, for something we've kind of just nodded and, and moved along and made this gentleman's agreement that managers have to call out on each other, which they won't do. And now, you know, now we're in this like minefield and, and that, like, this is this whole thing. Like I want to care. And it, it does seem serious when you can add a couple of inches of movement to the pitch but also, like, it, I can't help but think, does capital B baseball like baseball right now? Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, Major League Baseball, they're not on the side of angels or anything. They're not, like, devoid of blame here. Like, they were 100% doing this cracking down now because it benefits them. Because, you know, they've been sitting around laughing, like, oh, look at all that movement. And then, like, oh, wait, people don't like this. Hey, what's with all that movement, you guys? Let's crack down. Like, everything with the Astro, the whole Astro scandal now looks even worse because, if, you know, pitchers are doing who's responding to who's cheating here and, you know, yes. batters are stealing signs and pitchers are, are gunking up the balls. And, you know, it all stems from, you know, fruit of the rotten tree, right? It's like the MLB has created this, this system of not holding their players and not holding themselves accountable. And it's been this way for ever, like literally forever in baseball. And, you know, if they would just be a cleaner, better organization, then they wouldn't have to deal with so many of these issues as they come up, but they're trying to, you know, whack-a-mole here to make sure that they the, only the right issues are arising for the sport and it just it doesn't work that way you can't just be selectively you know selectively good or selectively moral or, or no. you know selectively do the right work that's not how you get good at something you have to be you have to do all the work and they're not doing all the work right now they're just trying to find shortcuts right and and when you get like you're saying it's it's kind of funny you said it it's been they the baseball's just been letting things go forever uh even going back to like the the beginnings of organized baseball or like turn of the century 1900s baseball uh there were guys whose behavior was very like counterproductive let's say uh and a lot of effort was expelled to not expel those players uh, and that's stuff that comes up intermittently in, in D.B. Firstman's book, Hall of Name. If you if you have not read that one, it's a fun one. Uh, it just goes through players' names that are of note through history that are fun ones uh, or silly sounding or ridiculous or whatever. Um, 
but that kind of thing comes up then and and it does touch on this being a persistent theme in baseball historically and now like yeah when it gets to baseballs being thrown and you know fastballs being thrown with spin rates over 2400 rpm which is pretty exceptionally high uh, like Garrett Cole with substance is 2500 or so um so that gives you some context for it if you're a notch below him and you you'd be in the upper tier of baseball uh, you know the amount of those fastballs has pretty much doubled since 2015 when we really got into publicly available spin knowledge from 18% to 35% of fastballs thrown hit that register uh, and there's also this this idea of you know what good is only stopping your guy from cheating makes no sense that came up in a Ken Rosenthal and Britt Rolly piece where yeah. the player was like yeah I don't like it as a hitter I hate seeing my guy goop up like that but what am I really going to do to stop him? Because I know the other teams are doing it. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a weak, like weak person's excuse. And yet like <laughs> it makes, it, it makes a lot of sense though. Like, yeah, if it it was, how are you going to be the one? And, and you know, it's, it's lame to say to these guys, like, well, you got to be the one to stand up, but you do. I mean, somebody has to be the one to stand up. And if the league's not going to make them do it, I mean, this is what is happening now. The league is going to make them do it. Because the problem is you don't get notice. You just get you just wash out of the league. The league if you're not doing it, if you're not being, if you're not as effective as the other pitchers, you just don't yeah. keep your spot on the team. You don't keep your spot in the majors, and that's what happens. You get replaced by somebody who is decent, or at least potentially. That's the slippery slope argument that that is being made here, and it is a morally weak argument. But we're talking about a game of you know, man children who get to make millions of dollars if they succeed in it. Like it's going to be a morally wishy-washy space. Like it's not exactly like, you know, league of gentlemen here. This is, it's a, you know, you, you need to have rules. Like baseball wants to be the sport of unwritten rules, but, and Oh, we don't need so many rules because we have all these unwritten rules because we're gentlemen and we, and we police ourselves, but it's not actually that way. And it's never actually been that way. And the whole unwritten rules, ethos is just an excuse so that you don't have to actually have anyone be in charge and do the hard work of saying of of you know nerding out and being singling people out for not following the rules like but that's why you have a commissioner that's why he's supposed to be there so that you can appoint people to do that like you don't want a situation where players have to do it and have to tattle on other players like that that's that sucks that's a really sucky spot for for guys to be in and look how it's helped mike fires like not a lot he's not exactly making a ton of friends but you know, but somebody has to do it if the league isn't going to do anything about it. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting because the league seems to be separate from baseball in the sense that the commissioner is maybe gone from somebody who adjudicates the game to somebody who really just represents ownership. And right. Who, you know, like ownership is maybe, you know, they had that summit with the owners or, or whomever about the substances on the baseballs. And the owners weren't happy and certain things came of it. And that's, you know, right around the time we see drops in RPM from Bauer, from Cole. Um, It's a tough spot, but yeah, they put themselves in it. And for as much as baseball might want to be the game of unwritten rules, that might also be because it's people who want unwritten rules are the ones who want to say, well, that's not actually how it's supposed to be. And then you can't have anything to point to to prove it because it's unwritten. Which is, you know, that's how things blow up. That was the whole Mercedes and La Russa thing. That's every unwritten rule situation, right? It's like, yeah, 
at one point, it does seem like baseball would need to evolve, and maybe not even evolve, but maybe just mature to yeah. read the room a little bit better. Yes. Because yeah. they are making money hand over fist, and players do have six figures or seven figures or more on the line based on their performance, especially guys who are fringier players, guys who are not Garrett Cole, who wouldn't be receiving a major deal anyway, right? Like, a lot of incentive is on the table for them when they're not necessarily replacing their ability as much as they're enhancing it. And it has been enabled for so long. Yeah, it's so, I mean, it's the sport of haves and have nots. I mean, we said the scandal recently about the the food that Oakland A's minor leaguers have been given. It's just like awful. It's like, they're like, you know, this is what athletes are supposed to eat. Like people shouldn't even be eating these meals. They're so meager. And it's just like, if that's where you're coming from, then yeah, you got to do whatever you can to get in the game. And if other people are cheating, then you're going to have to cheat too. Cause that's, cause it's that competitive and it just is. And that's why it's so much more. That's why it's so important that the league has proper rules in place to, to track this stuff. And they, and they're struggling to figure it out because they never have before. Yeah. I think that's a really pertinent observation. And I think it's interesting to say that, um, you know, there's incentive to cheat because it is so competitive. And it makes me wonder if it's not necessarily that so much as it is that the, the line between cheating and competing has been blurred, right? Like maybe those are just one thing at this point for baseball in this context. And I, I don't know. Is it is it? So let me run two things by you then. Is this a player issue or a league issue? It's 100% a league issue. Like it will be a player issue. You, you can't put this on the players. I think it's not fair. It's not fair to ask the players in this environment to, to police themselves on it. It's too, there's too much on the line. There's too much personal welfare at stake for individual players. It's, it just doesn't make any sense to have players be in charge of this themselves. This is the type of thing, you know, there's a reason we have juries and judges. Like you don't allow someone to set their own punishment until they commit a crime because there's too much personal, you're too much a part of it. Like you can't, that doesn't work. You need to have a governing body here. This is the league, a league issue that they 100% need to figure out how to, how to fix and how to regulate. So there's two things you said there that it shouldn't be the players is one of them. It shouldn't be the players, you know, figuring this out because I, I agree. And here's what, in addition to, you know, maybe distracting from the changes in the baseball that have had a pronounced negative impact on offense, we're also running up against the CBA running out, right? So to me, it's also like a matter of convenience for the league to suddenly take issue with this as players are the ones after games having to answer these questions. Owners are not sitting at a locker fielding these questions. Personnel people, player dev people, general managers not sitting at lockers having to field these questions. And that creates a divide because the reporters have to ask it, but who are they going to ask at the end of the game? It's a really tough spot, right? Yeah, 100%. And I, th- I mean, we talked about that at the, at the top. Like, yeah, Garrett Cole has to answer these questions and there's no reason he should be the one answering it. He's part of a system that he did not create, that he did not even necessarily promote, but he is a part of it and he's just one small part of it. And he is not capable, nor should he be, of answering the, the questions that the reporters have to ask. Yeah, and then there's this other thing. You said there should be a governing body doing this, which, again, I agree with. 
But if that comes down to it, I think I would want it to be like, and I, like this is where do we even know if the league's capable of doing this? I would want it to be an egoless governing body, right? Because it's like it's, I don't want it to be another players' committee for the Hall of Fame where they're just like voting in friends and guys they respected when they played with. Yeah. So how tough is of a situation is that to kind of like how possible do you think that is to find or create that governing body that you legitimately trust? It's really difficult, and it's going to be part of the next CBA because the problem is, as you said, the commissioner isn't really in charge of the league, in charge of like the, the betterment of the league. He's in charge of owners and, and appeasing owners ownership. So, you know, everything that gets adjudicated gets actually adjudicated between the league and the players association. Like this is where the rules actually get made. It's not by yeah. the commissioner. It's by the commissioner and the players. And as we have that next negotiation negotiation coming up, everything is going to be on the table. And that includes this kind of thing and what rules they're going to set and what, what standards they're going to be and, and what punishments there might be. And then there's so much that's going to be negotiated that, that, you know, it's just going to be another point that the league can try to leverage to take advantage of the players financially. Yeah. And I yeah, think that's, that's too bad because that's, you know, again, it's not the league. It's not the players. I guess it's a player issue and the players are doing it, but like, you know, you tell your kid, your kid can decide what to eat for lunch every day. And then he's got a stomach ache because he eats chocolate all the time. Is that the kid's fault or is that the parents' fault? 30 packets of ketchup. I, like, I don't, that doesn't, yes, the kid, yes, the kid should have choose something better. That would be great. But the right. kid's not going to. That's why the parent is there. And, right. and that's why the commissioner is supposed to be there. And he's not, and, and he and the league are not doing their job to, to protect the players and to put them in a, in a position to succeed here. So, and maybe they don't regard it as their job. I think that would be a fair question. Maybe for another time to really discuss, but I think a fair thing to bring up. And even when it comes to the suspensions, you're saying everything is on the table for this next CBA. And I 100% agree with that too. I'm not sure that we're not already seeing that reflected in, in big stars not being suspended because they would have to deal with the union. And we've talked about that before. They don't like doing it. They don't like putting themselves in a position to potentially lose. And that maybe that's why we're seeing minor leaguers suspended because they are not unionized and they will not have anybody to defend them. So sorry, yeah. kid, you're, you're out. Like, 100%. Yes. And on that note, like when it comes to the CBA negotiation, we're almost certainly heading toward a lockout and it feels really important to distinguish that it will be a lockout simply because the CBA is probably just going to expire before one is ready to take its place. Right. Oh, yeah. So at that point, it's just a formality. It's not the player striking its ownership, locking them out. And even that feels like it could be on the table for public perception. And like, what, what, a what, a I don't know. It, it feels like somebody is just uh, spinning the room as fast as they can, spinning a bunch of paint colors to see what color comes up when it comes down to this issue and all the issues attached to it. Yeah, well, the league and the Players Association are always jacking in public to to lay blame at the other's feet when the fact is nobody cares. Like, nobody cares <laughs> except for them. Like, nobody, baseball fans do not care for the owner's fault or the player's fault. That's kind of their own issue. Like, we'll just care that there's not baseball and they'll just we'll stop watching baseball. Like, that's that's the big misunderstanding on both sides part is that, like, nobody cares really whose fault it is. Everyone knows that it's both, both sides' fault. And all that matters is that, like, you're going to lose viewership the more public bickering there is, the longer there is a lockout. You're just going to yeah. lose generations of baseball fans and 
and that's all there is really to it. it doesn't matter whose fault it is yeah i i think you're right that that most people uh for for one reason or another uh given workplace histories of their own or anything don't really care whose fault it is when it comes to major league sports especially like you're saying these people are making tons of money relative to most individuals they just want to see the game and if they can't see the game they don't care really whose fault it is uh they just will find something else to do I think that's a really good note to leave on. We we really did, you know, I, I'm saying we made it expensive. I don't think we made it expensive at all. I think we just tried to realize how expensive it is. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about this again. I feel like it's unavoidable, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this isn't going anywhere. There's going to be a new plan in place probably within the next week or so. And 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 then we're going to start seeing a crackdown. And that mean, might mean suspensions, uh, get your, you know, boots and suspenders ready and uh, <laughs> it might mean you know just seeing some changing values of, of, of you know pitchers so it'll be definitely something we're tracking for the rest of the season here a very fair point so uh, we'll put a pin in this one and we'll get right into this week in baseball some big injuries right off the top uh evan longoria of last week's episode who we were just praising gonna be out four to six weeks with a fold uh, a folder strain a shoulder strain uh that kind of sucks right yeah that's too bad i mean he collided with Brandon Crawford, who, as of last night, is the the longest tenured Giants shortstop. More more games played at shortstop than yeah. anyone else in Giants history, which is pretty cool. But uh, he's got the staying power. Longoria, you should know. Don't don't collide with that guy. That guy's gonna stay in the game. He should have steered clear. So you know, too bad. Four to six weeks. That's a bummer. Hopefully, you know, he was having such a good season. So he hopefully, he can come back in the second half and and put it back together again. But that's the problem with guys like Longoria and guys at that age is they don't put it back together quite so fast. And I don't know the, you know, his fun story might be over for now. We'll see. It might be. And I'm curious to see how that impacts the giants, what Tommy Lastella does upon returning and, and how much that might steady the ship. So again, more, more reasons to see the giants as an interesting club, a couple pitcher injuries that have been, as long as they've been in, they've been dudes this year. John Means and Spencer Turnbull, each going to the IL, each with uh, strains, uh, throwing shoulder for Means, forearm strain for Turnbull. Either Neither has structural damage. Uh, but, I mean, these, these are guys are both who are on teams that are not competing this year, but Means might get traded? Yeah, I, is, I believe that Means is gonna, has the potential to be a, a real difference maker this season because he's the type of guy who could actually get traded and where teams maybe won't have to give up the whole farm to get him. And he was having a really good season and he is, I think maybe better now than we thought he was. And he's, he's a guy who's affordable. And so he doesn't have a, a, you know, heavy contract weighing him down and, you know, you get him for a couple of months and I think he could be, you know, he's made, he is, he's not an opening day ace kind of guy as he's been with the Orioles, but I think that makes him actually a little bit underrated. And he has some had some real potential to to swing a race, but we'll see. This is something this fatigue shoulder fatigue is something that he's dealt with before and has kind of dealt with continually. It seems like so. Hopefully, he just needs a little time off and then can put it back together and come right back to to kicking butt. That would be really fun to see. I think I agree with what you're saying. He, he could be a legit difference maker for a club down the stretch. Uh, a couple other recent guys we've talked about: David Peralta reportedly on the block. Uh, ironically, coincidentally. Right after we talked about him last week, uh, I mean, just a fun note, really. Almost like, almost the, like we called it. 
Uh, so it would be fun to see him on the move. But the Mariners, in bigger news, optioned Jared Kelnick after going in one of like the longest hitless streaks ever for a rookie, right? Like, come on, he was only 0 for 29. He was, I think, I think it was 39, wasn't was it? 39 now? 40, <laughs> I don't know. He was a lot. He was he was struggling. He was struggling for sure. But you know, he's young. He's barely played competitive baseball the last two years. Yeah. So he had like uh, less than 30 major or double A games and triple A games combined. Um, and I, in in context of Kelnick, I saw this week that somebody had said it's never been harder to come up from AAA to the majors than it is this year. Yeah, because um, probably because everyone in the majors is using <laughs> junk on their balls and no one in AAA is. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And, you know, it's, it's you know, those things that's like, take that, everyone who thinks that they, the Mariners held it on for too long. Like, it, it's hard to come up, you know. Just because yeah. you're mashing in AAA doesn't mean you're ready. It, it just yeah. doesn't. Like, I know sometimes it does, and I know there is certain time manipulation is real, but I also think it gets, like, I think, you know, we want on the whole prospects to come up way before they're ready. And Yeah, it's okay to let a guy have ready. more than... Yeah, he wasn't. And it's okay to let a guy have, no matter what their prospect status is, more than 30 games above a ball. And uh, what's unfortunate there is just the circus that was created around Kelnick in terms of the Mather comments and that kind of sucks and, and seeing hopefully how that plays out moving forward and, you know, goes down, he, he mashes, he comes back up and hopefully he's up for good then. Yeah. Uh, no extension talk between the Marlins and Starling Marte. Kind of curious given where they are, right? They're a younger club. Mostly Marte is like 32, I think, uh, but they're not quite selling. So what is happening with Starling Marte and the Marlins? Yeah, it's tough. Cause they have this great young promising pitching staff and on offense, they have basically just Starling Marte. So if they trade like, yeah, they should trade him objectively, but he plays center field, which is a really tough position of fill these days. And he's really your only really dynamic piece on offense. So if you move him, like your prospects for next year really go down, even though he is 32 and like, you know, he's just a big piece for that team right now. And he's become a real face of that franchise very quickly. And so it's, he's a tough guy to move, even though I think objectively it makes sense to trade him somewhere. I just think the the Marlins, they're in a tough spot and they, I think we'll end up having to move them, especially if they're not extending him. And I'm not sure yeah. why Marte would want to extend there right now, given their record. So, you know, it'll be a wait and see kind of thing. I, I don't see when you're that close to free agency, there's really not much reason to extend. So, and that gives kind of the Marlins extra incentive to move him. So I'd look for him to be on the move maybe this this July. I would too. What I think will be interesting is what would the Marlins trade, you know, what do they want back? Because they have so many young arms and they seem to really be able to develop the arms. And do they want another toolsy guy who could be Marte in five years? And do they want to wait that long? It's like they're really in no man's land with him, it seems. Yeah, it's it's tough, but you know, again, center field really tough to fill. So I think it will depend on which teams are out there and which teams are really looking. I mean, we're not going to see any movement for another until you know mid July, so they have some time yeah. to see to kind of look at farm systems and see what's out there. And I do think that because center field is so tough to fill, he is the type of guy that you could maybe get someone a prospect who's maybe closer to the majors that you might not move otherwise. Um, so we'll see. What's you know, it will depend on where where they're able to to shop him. A couple bits of Colorado Rocky no news here. Uh, Riley Pint, their top pick just a few years ago. What was it, 2016? 
has retired from baseball. He had a kind of an interesting career. He was a guy who could hit triple digits with his fastball, uh, but genu- generally speaking, never really knew where it was going. He never had a, a walk per nine below 5.59 in his entire major uh, minor league career. And so, yeah, he, he was taken fourth overall in 2016, and now he is retired from baseball. Uh, and Trevor Story is purportedly not planning to re-sign with the club. Uh, they are getting it from all angles here. To yeah, see, I mean, what do you make of the poor Colorado Rockies? I mean, of course, Story is not re-signing with the club. Duh. And, you know, Riley Pint, he had a $4 million signing bonus, didn't he? Like, yeah. he, he may never, never, uh, never plays in the majors and, like, you know, could be fine for life if he hasn't blown the money yet. So, you know, too bad that he's retiring. But if you, but also, it also kind of makes me happy when I see something like that, a young guy like him, because clearly it's a decision that he's feeling like is the right decision to make. So good on him for making a call. And of course, the story's not retiring. Like, why would he resign with the Rockies? It doesn't make any sense. Like, right. One of those things that comes out and everybody's like, well, yeah, what did you expect? But it stinks to hear, I guess, if you're a Rockies fan, right? Like, I know, I know a Rockies fan and he's, it's just a miserable season for him. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it just kind of like moves, greases the wheels a little bit and makes it even more, you know, even clearer that the Rockies should trade him. I mean, it, it takes away maybe a little bit of their bargaining power, but like, I don't think anybody really believed that he was going to resign there anyhow, so. No, no, and and so it's, it's uh, I don't know. I feel like every time we talk about the Rockies, we've not had anything good to say, so I just hope something good happens to them long term. Well, they, they 100% should trade him. And this softens the blow a little bit for the team. The team can now do it with the understanding that, like, oh, he wasn't going to resign. We'd love to, we would love to have kept him. Sorry, it didn't work out. You know, we wish him the best. And, you know, Cincinnati or wherever he's going, and they can now make the smart move and restock their farm system a little bit. A fair point. And that'll bring us to the PL piece of the week. Uh, what's causing Clint Frazier's troubles? Uh, from Matt Wallach, uh, Matt, I'm apologizing if I'm saying your last name wrong, if it's supposed to be Wallach. Either way, everybody can find Matt uh, on Twitter at Wallach18, W-A-L-L-A-C-H-1-8. And uh, so this this piece sticks out this week because Clint Frazier, after exploding last year and really looking like he took over that job for the Yankees in the outfield, he's been a tremendous, like, neutral this year he's been like a nothing value to the point where it is weird even though a lot of his numbers have stayed the same a lot of his uh approach based numbers so everybody can go check that one out but tc where can everybody check you out where can they find you online what can they expect from you in the next few days uh i got a piece coming out on picture this soon about the cubs bullpen that'll be up on friday but the cubs tremendous wonderful bullpen <laughs> that's full of fun fun characters uh tommy nance believers Unite. Come on out. Uh, and you can find me at uh, Movie Trade Rumors on Saturday and uh, on Twitter at TC Zanka. You can find me uh, kicking around the Discord for PL. You can find me at Baseball Prospectus uh, writing up the depth charts and the fantasy freestyles. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Jackson Says. Find the pod at Breaking Pod PL. You can email us at BreakingPodPL at gmail.com. You can subscribe, you can rate us five stars and comment and love, uh, you know, help us love you forever as if we don't already. 
and we hope that you guys had a great time this week. We hope that we hear you again next week, that you're with us then. Um, we hope you have the great week, the, the, the best week ever in between. Uh, we'll see you then, everybody. Have a good one.